You're listening to the Lawn and Landscape Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Miller, an associate editor with Lawn and Landscape Magazine. We've got some really good podcasts coming down the pipeline, but they're not quite ready yet. In the meantime, we wanted to share this podcast from our sister publication at GIE Media, Snow Magazine. In it, editor Mike Zawacki talks with Jerry Schill with Schill Grounds Management. Jerry talks all about mergers and acquisitions in his conversation with Mike. Here's the podcast. Hey, Jerry, thank you very much for returning to the podcast and and talking with me today about your recent um, merger with a private equity group. Pretty exciting news and a pretty exciting new chapter for you in in your professional uh, journey as a, a business owner. Thank you. I appreciate it. Take me back a little bit prior to the the merger and what were you, exactly were you looking for? You know, what was the opportunity that you were seeking out and how did you get connected um, with the individuals that you did? Yeah, that's a great question. But, you know, I, I think it all starts for me, Mike, with the amount of admiration. And I'm kind of like a proud papa when it comes to our organization and all of our team members. We have built a what I would consider a best-in-class organization up here in the Cleveland market. Um, the Cleveland market's a little little unique in the sense that we're up on the lake, so we're only dealing with a half of a market. So a quick, mm-hmm. it became apparent really as we continue to grow over the last few years since we kind of tweaked our business model a little bit that in order to continue to provide opportunities for our team and the organization and to extend our reach for our clients that we've been working with for years, that it was going to be important that we begin looking outside of that market. Um, That's when I really kind of came to the conclusion that, hey, you know, in order to do this, to do it well, um, it's going to make take a major investment in both people and and capital uh, alone just to go out and and, and find these opportunities to open new locations, buy and procure assets and all that other stuff. So that really was the genesis of the beginning of me having conversations with the, some private equity partners who contacted who first were were you actively out there seeking or was your name being passed around and uh, people were seeking you out uh it's a little bit of a complicated question so i will tell you i i, I commonly refer to it as our shark tank moment <laughs> we had we had spent several years building a business model that had predictable revenue we had figured out ways to mitigate the risk and the volatility in the snow and ice part of the business and had proven consistently year over year over year for about 10 years that we, in fact, had a business model that made sense and was scalable. With that being said, my curiosity, I'm, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I've been a member of Vistage for 11 years. I've been a member of peer groups around the industry. I'm, I'm a trailblazer with NALP. Just this, this zest for learning and, and kind of constantly pushing the envelope with the business. I uh, sought out my broker who had helped me on some other opportunities on the buy side, and he helped me get in front of a handful of private equity firms that lined up with our values. Talk to me a little bit about doing your due diligence since you were taking a look at um, a couple of different types of firms before you settled in on your new partners. Um, What exactly were you looking for and what questions were you looking for them to answer for you before you were comfortable that these would be um, uh, make for good partners for you? 
Yeah, so I think every opportunity is going to be different. In my particular situation, uh, my, well, in my brother Jim's situation was, we, we didn't have a desire to exit the business. So we were genuinely looking for a partner. We today still remain a significant owner in, in, in the organization. But it was important to us that whoever we partnered with believed in, understood, and valued the things that were important to us. Um, there are a ton of horror stories out there, uh, well-documented, of acquisitions and integrations that have gone awry. And typically, that comes at the expense of people. When Jim and I were out talking to people, it was super, super important to us that whoever we decided to go with, if we were able to even find a partner, that they believe that everything that we wanted to do and accomplish started with people. When you're going through your interview process, those are those are little things and you sit in every situation again is a little bit different. Every private equity firm has a different strategy, different opportunities. Their time horizon is, is significantly different than, than yours or, or could be significantly different. Um, so when, when we were going through the process, we actually met with five separate PE firms. Mm -hmm. Uh, before we settled in on Argonne Capital. Mm -hmm. And what was it about anything in particular that um, stuck out with Argonne Capital that um, you felt would make for good partners? Um, was it any, were there any first impressions that, that kind of struck you as, I think we're onto something here? The, the world of private equity is vast and different. You go from your KKRs of the world all the way down to boutique family-owned offices and the difference in their portfolios we're talking is billions with a B, not millions, billions. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we wanted to do is we wanted to work with somebody that kind of understood, had some boots on the ground. They had a, a passion for kind of teaching and coaching us along on some of the finer business points that we were not accustomed to. And at the same time, appreciate the value and the uh, opportunities that we were going to bring to them as operators. So personalities matter. You walk into a room, you sit down, you have a conversation with somebody for a couple of hours. You can generally get a sense of how you think you're going to operate and, and get along with those people. So you can kind of quickly eliminate some people. Um, some, some of those meetings resulted in two or three separate meetings to kind of get a sense than, or a better sense and, and an idea of what, what was going to work for Shill. Because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it wasn't about, it wasn't about Jim and I, it was about the organization. You know, it was about our 170 employees um, because they are what matters. Without them, none of this matters. When we met with Argonne, I actually was, it was kind of funny. I knew pretty much the first day that out of the five people that we had met that Argonne seemed to be a, an extremely good fit. They were very energetic, very excited about the space, uh, very excited about the opportunity. And because we're numbers junkies, well, I thought we were numbers junkies. We we're not numbers junkies like private equity guys, but because <laughs> we were very data driven and very technology and process driven, and had built a business model largely based on reoccurring revenue, there was some synergy there day one. And were they particularly interested in the fact that you and your brother wanted to stay and be an integral part of the business? Oh, absolutely, because it, it doesn't matter how good the, the business is or the deal is or how much money they make, there's nobody there to run it. It's not worth anything. So private equity firms do not have any desire to run or operate your business. Their role, or in our case, their role, is to help us become better operators to provide us with capital, direction, support uh, as we continue to grow the business across the region.
Tell me a little bit about the professional services you used to assist you during this process uh, and, and what different roles did they play in protecting your, your interests as well. Since, you know, this was your first time going through something like this, there you probably had a lot of questions. You know, we realize that there's a lot of great owner operators out there in the market today that have built very successful lifestyle businesses. They're not they're typically not big. They're, you know, three to five million dollars. Um, are generating a fair amount of cash flow, but haven't really put together a succession plan on what they want to do with the rest of their life, how mm-hmm. they're going to transition their business. They may or may not have, you know, children that want to come along or employ key employees that want to, you know, take the risk. It's going to be a little bit different from a representation standpoint based on the size of your company. So every deal is going to re- involve a lawyer. It's going to involve accountants. And in some cases, it's going to involve a broker. So on the larger deals, what you're going to see is you're going to have a broker who's going to get paid some percentage of the deal size to handle and coordinate and uh, direct all the activities of the seller. What that does is allows the seller in these bigger deals to stay focused on what I'll call their day job so they can continue to, to operate and run the business in, in the capacity that it needs to run while you're going through the due diligence process. That is a that's a that's a pretty clean model. It's it's not inexpensive to use a broker. There's a tipping point there, and I don't really know what what size that is. Every business is going to be a little bit different on the amount of EBITDA they generate, mm-hmm. and how much time and energy that they want to put into kind of handling the deal on their own. Regardless, at, on some level, you're going to need a CPA. You're going to need a lawyer. It could be your local CPA and your regular business attorney. Um, however, I recommend that you're talking to somebody that has deal experience so they can represent you and work for you on your behalf. When you get into the smaller deals, obviously the, there's not as many dollars to deal with and you know owners are, or sellers are gonna have to pay off any outstanding debt. You know, they're gonna have to pay their consultants and advisors. So again, deal size is gonna matter a little bit on, on which route you go. But again, traditionally you're gonna see some smaller deals working with their local accountant and CPA and the bigger deals, you're going to typically use a broker. How long did this entire process take for you? And and were you surprised at all by that the length? A couple of things. Uh, in our particular situation, we had been scheduled to close this past spring before COVID hit. And mm-hmm. then when COVID hit, everybody had to call a timeout. Yeah. So I think our deal ended up taking a little bit longer, quite a bit longer, actually, than a normal deal would take. What I'll say is if you have the resources to provide the data requests, mm-hmm. albeit the business information, the financial information, and you have a legal or a lawyer on your team that can handle all the legal requests, these deals are typically going to take about 90 days. Oh, wow. Pretty quickly then. Yeah. And there's, there's a lot of variables there. If issues pop up or arise as they may or may not, you can add a couple of extra weeks. You can add another month, you know, typically... People like to close at the beginning or an end of a month. It's a lot cleaner from an accounting standpoint. There's mm-hmm. just a lot of factors that, that come into play when you're making those decisions. Okay. You know, you, you stressed earlier on in our discussion about how important people were in, in all of this. So tell me a little bit about how you approached um, informing your team and your employees that this was the direction you were going in. And um, and then after that, I was curious that, like, what point – in the in this process do you start to inform your clients about the change that's going to happen yeah so in our particular situation it was a cause for celebration because we had been able to accomplish a goal 
partner with Argonne Capital, who was going to provide us with the, you know the capital and resources we needed to grow and scale the business and and do acquisitions. And at the same time, you know, we had no desire to leave, so nothing really changed for our team, mm-hmm. other than it created more opportunities. Even since we've uh, done our deal in August, we've we've internally promoted probably five people, and, and it includes you know myself. And my brother, Jim, our roles have dramatically changed. Uh, we've added a CFO. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of really exciting things going on at, at, at SGM. The other thing, and I, and I had mentioned ours was a little bit different because we were the platform in this deal. Shill mm-hmm. is the brand mm-hmm. um, that we're growing across the region. If you're a seller, it's really important to control the message when you're doing these deals. It's a very personal, it's a very emotional mm-hmm. process. I can tell you from firsthand experience, you just lay there kind of wondering, you know, if you're making the right decision or you're not, it's, it's a life-changing experience, but to control the message. So it's really important that this, the sellers really think about what's important to them and what's important to their team. And it's really, in, in my opinion, when you look at this and, and, and folks that, that go out and will market their business and ultimately sell to, to folks like ourselves or any of the other strategics, it is one of the most responsible things as a business owner you can do to have a plan, to have things in place so the business is sustainable, so people can continue to, to, to work and support their families and provide the benefits that they need to the community. I think when you when you step back and look at this, it's really just important that we and our plan has been to let them tell their story, tell their message to their employees and their and their customers mm-hmm. um we re, we require going out and and doing face-to-face meetings to to inform customers mm-hmm. that there's been a change of control um and we haven't seen any negative blowback and um, the way that we're handling that today because at the end of the day all the changes that are happening and all the changes that are being made are to improve the customer experience and to improve our employee experience at the same time yeah, that's an important message to get across then as well, that these were all enhancements to the business and that as a client, I'm sure your message was that they'd be better served under the new um, under the new structure or whatnot. Yeah, I, I will tell you from firsthand experience here in the last two months, the last deal that we closed, um, that almost every single customer celebrated and applauded the, the previous owner. Um, for the success they've had up running and operating their business. Uh, mm-hmm. Nobody looked at this as, as a negative outcome. Mm-hmm. They were excited and happy for the seller. Fantastic. Um, going through this process, what was the greatest misconception you had going into it? And, and what was it and, um, and why? So I've got a really good friend that I admire and respect um, the heck out of, and I'll leave his name out of it. But he said to me one day, he said, doing deals are hard. They're emotional. Uh, it requires a lot of time. It requires a lot of patience. It requires a lot of resources. It is a very personal process in which you have to kind of be careful and guarded with what you're doing. So not to spook and scare anybody, customers and employees alike. Uh, but those are the things that really kind of stand out to me. It's not that the components within the deal are super complicated. It's the sum of all those parts mm-hmm. that make doing deals difficult if an industry colleague came to you and was going to go through this process in some fashion what would be some of the keys that you would offer them to ensure their success i think it starts with sitting down and being honest with yourself like Mm -hmm. what do you want out of the opportunity 
Um, and, and again, our case was a little bit different because this is something that we sought out. This is something that we wanted to do. Um, and it was a very strategic move and, and, and a strategic alliance that we put together to do this. Know what you want to do. Be honest with yourself. Make a list, the pros and the cons. What are you going to do? What are you going to need? What's it look like post-close? Do you have other things that you want to get involved in, whether it's other investment opportunities or, or other business? Do you want to stick around and into the business for some period of time? So I think it's really important to understand that. Really reflect on you know, what your life is going to look like when you do that. I think when you do that, the answers will come to you. You'll know. And you'll be able to make the best, most informed decision you can for you and your family. Okay, great. Hey, um, if you had to do this whole thing over again, what one thing would you maybe do differently? One thing I would have done differently. Yeah. I don't I don't have any regrets, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. You know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, so it's kind of not fair. Mm-hmm. What I would say is, um, and I, our organization, I can speak to in particular, it, we've always been a learning organization. Some people run landscaping and snow removal businesses you know we run a business so we look at the business like entrepreneurs we're not trying to grow a landscaping company or a snow removal company we're trying to grow an enterprise so i think i would have probably if i had to pick something i would say i would have loved to start learning more about the the financial workings and how all these things work in the background sooner Mm -hmm. in my business career um, you had mentioned earlier, I wanted to follow up on this, is that one of the things that um, you found very uh, appealing about Argon was that they would be able to teach and coach you, uh, kind of uh, further you in your own professional development. I was kind of curious if you could share maybe one or two things you've learned by working with them that has helped you in your new role, which is growing the company. Yeah, so they have their own vocabulary, and they, they think and add things up really, really quick. But they, they, they just taught me to look at the business differently through numbers. They understand the people component, and they understand that we get the operational side of the business, but they really know how to leverage dollars so we can go out and grow the business profitably. It's hard to explain, but when you get in the head of, a, of an investment banker or a private equity person, and look at the business through the lenses that they look through it, it's a very, very different world. And I think the magic is the harmony between that world and then the world of the operators like us. It's the mm-hmm. best of it's the best of both worlds. And that's really where the magic happens. 